how much do I want it? My girl's on the side of the road. I'm proving to them that their dad is okay. I'm proving to them that their dad is going to be cancer again. You are now listening to episode three of the three-part series with Richard Wright, global speaker, author, and elite endurance athlete. In this episode, we wrap things up. We find out the rest of Richard's story. We hear about his most recent news. We learn a little bit more about some of the mental techniques and habits that he's developed to succeed against almost impossible odds. And we provide a roadmap, if you like, for running the race that will hopefully translate to success and ambition and victory for you in your own circumstance. Thank you for listening. If you haven't listened to the previous shows, please go back and do that now. It'll make more sense. And when you do, please go ahead and share them. Enjoy the episode. All right, Richard, we've been through quite a journey. We have swum 3.8 kilometers. We've cycled 180 kilometers. And now in our metaphorical race, we hear for the second time that you've got six months to live. Surely, surely now you give up. Surely this is the moment where you stop. Fortunately, they gave me a little bit longer this time. Mike. Oh, okay. yeah, no, it was two, two years, then it came down to 18 months, then it came down to a year. And eventually I said to all the specialists, I don't want to know anymore. And as much as they have a responsibility and assign a Hippocratic Oath, which which essentially means that they need to help you to make informed decisions and they need to help you give you the information you need so that you can you know, do what you need to do. I got to the point where I don't want to know anymore. And again, that's the thoughts. So mm. every single time I was told your time is diminishing, 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 the thoughts, no matter how hard you try not to think like that, it's, it's almost impossible not to. S- same cancer. So it was different. It, to, yep. it, we had a spirit to before on the fourth ventricle, the underside of my brain. It was back there. The original tumor had come back, but benign. So it was it, the same pathology as it had, or histology as it had, um, right back at the first time. So it was kind of watching that and the symptoms from that as well. But what all of this meant is that I had to have quite a lot of hormone replacement therapy, just because of damage to the pituitary. So it's been a real roller coaster ride of all sorts of emotions. Pituitary handles a lot of how you feel about yourself and mm. testosterone, estrogen levels, um, mood, uh, even how your body controls temperature, everything, everything, it was all out of whack. And starting a 42.2 kilometer run, feeling like you couldn't even walk around the block again, uh, was it just, it was, it was a lot harder the second time. You know, the first time it was, it's the first time and you're throwing everything at it. The second time is kind of, wow, I know what it took out of me the first time. I know yeah. how hard this was on me and my body and on my family and my kids. And, and you must have thought it was over behind and you. I'm back. I, I, I've done it. I, I feel like I paid my dues, right? I felt like I'd, I'd completed the race. And, and, and then some. <laughs> and, yeah, I felt like I completed the race and I'm back to the beginning again. And how on earth am I going to do this? So, yeah, it, 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 it's an understatement to say that it was really, really tough. And it took longer that time for me to get out of that place of feeling like a victim. I really did feel beaten down and out for a couple of weeks. I didn't leave my house, didn't leave my bedroom, uh, ignored everybody. I took myself off everywhere. I really held up 
where are, are we in history now? So that was 2017, beginning of 2017. Okay. And I'd entered for the Ironman. So I'd had a couple of good months of training. So 22nd of November, 2016. So bearing in mind in August, I went into remission and now it's a couple of months later, came back from a trip. I went alone to the bush just to go and try and process everything. Got home, went to bed and the next morning was woken up by uh, three people breaking into my house and I literally was cleaned out. And bearing in mind, I had only kept the things that, you know, how much does somebody need, need if they're dying? I got rid of everything in my life, got rid of everything. I'm looking at all of these things thinking, okay, one of the things I got rid of was my short-term insurance because, you know, I'm dying. You know, you don't need short-term insurance if you're dying. And, and I looked at all the things that these guys were taking and I was like, I, I can't replace those. I don't have insurance and I can't replace it. And these are the only things that I kept what I needed. Uh, I don't have extra anything. Um, and then I sat there thinking, oh, but hold this on, is Rich, nuts. This is a home invasion, right? Like yes. you held up guns in your house, guns tied up my head. I wasn't tied up, fortunately, uh, but held up in my bedroom for two and a half hours. Uh, a gun oh, pointed at my head most of the time and literally cleaned, cleaned out. And, um, and, and that must have been time. An, an experience in, in, I mean, I'm not trying to minimize it in any way, but in endurance in its own right, you, you're now having to do stuff mentally. And there's no finish line. That so, you so have you, never, ever done before. Never. Do you think you coped better? I mean, that's traumatic for anyone, unimaginably traumatic and experienced. Do you think some of what you have done and learned in your life so far was a big part of dealing with that situation? Yeah, oh, that's an interesting question, Mike. I haven't been asked that before. Yes, I do. So I took the tack. I'm a pacifist by nature. I've never been in a fight. I've never hit anybody in my life. Um, I've always been able to talk out of things. I think I think you're talking to me, speaking, working through things is for me the right way to go. So I was never going to be the guy that got aggressive. I was never going to be the guy that, that challenged them in, in any way. Um, I've done quite a lot of reading about putting the person in a feeling, in a position of power. So I called, you know, when they asked me questions, I called, so I... Uh, I was completely, completely passive. Mm. But sitting there in my sleep shorts and nothing else with my glasses on, feeling extremely vulnerable, every time something set them off or, or agitated them, I had a gun back in my face again. In the beginning, my head pushed into the mattress with a gun. Um, not knowing how long, how much time had passed, not knowing how long this experience was going to carry on for, endure for, not knowing what the outcome was going to be. Um, for sure, uh, it's just an, another endurance event, essentially. Uh, adrenaline is going, sweating, and just bearing out every single minute, enduring every single minute, enduring every single, controlling the thoughts, controlling the thoughts. For sure, I think it's actually quite a good analogy. Um, and then at one point, they piled everything into my car, and two left, and I heard the car driving away, and the one stayed in my bedroom with a gun pointed at me and but my gate, the, 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 the gate to my property, I heard it open and this guy got really, really agitated and pointing this gun at me, his hand was even shaking a little bit. And I thought, okay, this is it. The gate's open now. The car, I've got a combi, the, the door's open. This guy's actually going to shoot me and run out of the house because now I've seen all three of them. That's all that's left. Yeah. And, and that's it. And this is, this is what's going to happen. And the thoughts that went through my head at that time was less than 120 people have survived the cancer. I've survived. was fighting and, I'm going to be killed in my own house. 
it's and and the gift of that it took me a while to to process that part that there's a gift to it but well there are a number of gifts actually one of the things i learned was that uh it's time in my life to start taking um, I, i'm i'm a really good giver i love giving things i love making life better for other people but i really better to receive and at that time in my life i had to receive uh, and some amazing friends put some initiatives together to to crowdfund and replace some of the things i'd lost people gave me things and it was extremely extremely humbling uh, it taught me a lot about what it means to be human but the other thing was that we every single one of us you spoke about terminal and, and what is terminal does terminal mean it's not going to come back you clear you what what, you know, what does that actually really mean and it, it doesn't mean that it's not coming back. Terminal is, is almost a sense of we're just going to hang around in limbo and see. You know, and every, every little ailment, every cough, flu symptom, whatever, so I'm going to say, is it back? Is it back? What is this thing now? Mm. Nobody ever says to you, okay, don't worry, go forth and live your life. It's never coming back. But that thought was that I'm no different to any person, that despite the fact that I have stage four cancer, I could be killed in my house. I could be. I could have a car accident. I could have a heart attack. I could die by any of those other means that the rest of us die by. And uh, how am I different to anybody else? And this concept of we're all terminal, and that was that's been quite important for me in this journey is is to not let the the limiting factor of how much time I'm told I've got left determine how I live my life. Quality of life, yeah. That's been very big for me. So so the quality of my life now, the quality of my life throughout cancer has been better than the quality of my life before it, which seems nuts, but it's true. Do you feel that? Are you, I mean, I've heard people say just in this very brief period in time globally, you know, I'm never going to take for granted the ability to have a bra with friends and mm. never going to take for granted uh, a kind hug or a handshake again. Although maybe we could do away with handshakes forever. Um, do you feel that gratitude all the time? So, so Michael, I just I can't let this one. It's too good to let it pass. The only reason you don't want handshakes is because you, that guy, is incredibly uncomfortable with the greetings and you don't know what to say. Am I right in saying I'm that? The most awkward. Uh, you mess, yeah, you, you it's, mess it's, those things up, right? You, you're the superpower of triathlons, and that, my superpower is awkward greetings with See. people. That's yeah, that's the so great gift a, that I was gift. given. COVID nineteen is this is your gift. <laughs> So it's even worse now. The worst like, is the semi the semi handshake hug, the where your hand gets caught in between the person oh. and yeah, the shug, I like to call it. <laughs> it's not it's not great. It's, uh, but, but now it's not great. Is that the elbow thing or what do we how do we which elbow is it is it gonna be like opposite elbows or the same elbow, one? Same elbow. No, uh, nobody knows yet. Nobody I'll knows. I'll mess that up as well, guarantee. <laughs> no, it's it's hectic. So I'm gonna say this. Yes, 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 yes. It's a massive, massive gift. And and it should be making people appreciate and realize what has meaning to them in their lives. So I've seen a couple of people on Twitter recently say that I've just realized how few hobbies I've got. I'm stuck at home and I've got no hobbies. I didn't realize I didn't have hobbies before. And what are you filling your time with? And what is that, what is important to you right now? And if you're reading, what are you reading? If you, and it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful place to hit the reset button. But this is what I've learned, Mike, is despite all of that, the minute I went into a mission, well, not a minute, a couple of weeks, months after that, you slowly start to slide back into how your life was before you got cancer because now the cancer's gone. And that, that's a very, very unfortunate part of human nature. In, in fact, um, I moved at the end of last year and it's almost four years since that robbery or three and a half years since that robbery. And I realized how much I had to throw out and how much I've collected again in my life, mm. despite the fact that I got rid of everything, despite the fact that I've been through another two cancer 
prognoses, we still collect stuff. Why? You know, it, it, so, so I, I think we're only going to come out this better if we start cognitively, intentionally realizing and making, maybe writing, making notes. Writing a book was one of the best things I think I've ever done, one of the hardest things I've ever done. I, I just gushed out content, just came out, and then having to put it together in, in a cognitive process and, and format. But what it did is an incredibly powerful way to process my life and to figure out what was important for me and figure out take stock again yeah. who i am after cancer with cancer all of it. It, it and maybe this is a wonderful time where we could all of us just journal write just some thoughts something so you dropped a bomb there for listeners that don't know your story and, and are hearing this for the first time you mentioned another two cancer prognoses so so we just just a recap okay we had cancer we beat it we now find out we've got cancer again. And in the midst of all of this, you're still competing in Ironman triathlons. Yes. Please tell us the story of, of going ahead with your plans to do an Ironman triathlon despite this new diagnosis. So February the 4th, uh, 2017, I found out that the cancer was back and it was for two months, literally, no training, just a hold up. And for the first couple of weeks, I really didn't leave my house, as I, as I mentioned. And slowly, it got back to that, hey, you're not a victim. You know how you got through this last time. And I was chosen as part of a, 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 a clinical trial on the effects of vigorous exercise and cancer. And that was probably the best thing that could have happened. Because up until then, all of the specialists, all the doctors had said, no, you shouldn't be training. You, you, you know, you're making harder for your body, despite what I know for myself mentally and how much it gave to me. But this was an opportunity where, okay, right, we actually want you to train vigorously throughout the treatment. We're going to test you twice, twice a week for base, base levels, blood tests, and a couple of other tests. And we want to see what the, the exercise does. So it was a very, very closely monitored exercise and it was amazing um, the results that came out of that and how so that was counterintuitive to what was understood to be absolutely helpful and correct, still and still is, and okay. still is i think i think what happens most specialists and i think this is this is, a, this is a point i really do want to make is that throughout this entire journey what i've learned is that what i know about myself is more important than what other people are telling about me about me hmm. and Nobody knows you better than you, and you are not the same as anybody else on this planet. There's not a single person that will res will respond to the to the exact same cancer that I had the same way my body responded, and there's nobody that's going to respond to the medication the way that I responded, and vice versa. So some of what worked for me wouldn't work for other people. Some of what worked for them hasn't worked for me. I've been on a number of different drugs. Some have worked, some, some haven't, and treatments too. So, and I think that's the breakthrough moment. And and, and let's get, let's go right back to that moment of of standing on the beach. I think my superpower in, a, in, a, in an Ironman is my ability to focus purely on myself. I'm not racing anybody else. I'm not concentrating on anybody else. And an Ironman is too long to do that. In fact, I can tell you that the longer the race is, the better it is for me. I discovered that in my first triathlon that I, I revel in extreme distance. In fact, if there was, you know, I'd, I'd like to do something longer than an Ironman because I think my body responds better. So there are three disciplines to an Ironman. It's the swim, it's the cycle, and it's the run. But I think there's a fourth discipline too. Well, I know there's a fourth discipline. 
and that's the mental discipline and that's the one i'm the best at think just yeah. think so standing on the beach i know all i have to concentrate is on myself my stroke my breathing my mantra my if i can if, if if i can control me within the race i'm likely to have my best possible race the minute i start competing against other people comparing myself to other people the minute i start comparing my pace my the minute i do that I, i'm losing my own battle within my own mind and that has been my superpower and I think for anybody, if you're sitting where you are now, you wanting to build a new business, you wanting to do relationships, it doesn't matter what it is. Comparison is the thief of all joy. You, you don't compare yourself to anybody. You know yourself better than anybody else. And that is your superpower. And that's what it was for cancer and, and for that race. And I kind of figured all I need to do is get to the start line. I just need to start this thing. And I just need to control my own thoughts and control my, my own self. And if I can do that, I'll get through an Ironman and I know what it will do. If I can do this thing, I can beat cancer again. If I can get to that finish line, I can cross the finish line of beating cancer. Um, and I had a super sport crew following me around. I was the story of Ironman that year. I had nowhere to hide. There were times I raged. There were times I, I, I wept. It was just, I don't know this body anymore. I don't you know who is this person. Um, I can't believe this has happened to me. I can't believe this is where I'm, I'm, I'm again. Through it all, it was just I was so focused and so determined that I was not going to give up and was going to dig deep. It didn't matter what it took, I was going to get to the finish line. And my finish line was it was it was I was stunned, literally stunned. It was a ten twenty, put me in the top nine percent of the field that day, two hundred thirty third overall out of about two thousand two hundred athletes. Even if I look back at that now, I kind of think how how on earth was that possible? It was, certainly wasn't a physiological feat. It wasn't it wasn't a physical thing at all. It was a pure how much do I want it? How much does this mean to me? How does this thing reflect my purpose? My girls on the side of the road, I'm proving to them that their dad is okay. I'm proving to them that their dad is going to be cancer again. It was, it was, it was a pivotal, incredibly important moment in my life. And then from there, I'd, I'd entered every major endurance event that anybody could throw at me or suggested me. That year, I finished about another nine massive events. I'm Manuel's is one of them. Um, all with cancer. All with cancer. And every single one of them was, if I can do this, if I can do this, if I can do this, I've proven to myself. And you know, obviously a bunch of people thought I was nuts and you know, Richard, you've got nothing to prove to anybody anymore. You've, you've done this thing. And it's like, it's not about anybody. It's about me. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and breakthrough, any kind of breakthrough, any kind of anything in life, any, any massive finish line, if it's not about you, don't bother. So you mentioned that, I think, could be wrongly attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt that comparison is the thief of joy, that great uh, saying. Uh, is it worth maybe elaborating on that and saying comparison is the thief of any progress, any fulfillment? Uh, mm. You only land up, you, I mean, the only thing that can happen when you compare yourself to somebody else's achievements or progress is you can only feel better than them which for various reasons can be an unhealthy emotion or state of mind, mm -hmm. or you can feel worse, which for obvious reasons is always an unhealthy state of mind. Mm -hmm. But there's only like vanity or feeling diminished are the only two outcomes of a comparison with somebody else. And yet almost everything we do, especially in the world of business, is benchmarked against the other. Correct. Um, I think that's a very important point to make and one of the things i put in my book is examples of 
massive companies, conglomerations now actually, who grew or were started in a recession, those that capitalized on times that others looked as extremely dim. And I know we're going to see it through COVID-19, exactly the same thing. We're going to see people who, through this crisis, and there's that other fabulous quote, this is never waste a good crisis, are going to make a huge success of themselves or their businesses. Um, I'd love to believe that there are going to be some of them that make massive successes based on their ability to help others through this. I'd, I'd love to, that, that's, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? But those are the ones that are not prepared to be swayed by opinion. They're not the ones who are comparing themselves to everybody else. They're not the ones that are, are trying to benchmark their achievements or whatever they're doing. They're, they're following their own sense of purpose. They're, they're following their own, uh, they're playing to their strengths. They know themselves. They're not comparing. They're, they're, they're running their own race. If this is your first time listening to The One-Eyed Man and you're wondering what I'm trying to achieve here, why don't you take a moment to go back to the trailer episode at the beginning of season one. It's really short, I promise, and will give you some insight and context. If you're enjoying the show, please consider sharing this episode or the One-Eyed Man channel with, well, all of your friends in the entire world. And now, back to the show. What is, what is the best version of us in this circumstance? What is the best that we can do? Not, not how do we do better than them? Correct. Um, Correct. And, 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 I, and that's rooted in the same sort of purpose that you were talking about earlier on. Correct. And I guess there's something to be said for organizations that have clearly stated and communicated that again in an authentic way mm. where everybody, I guess, that makes up that ecosystem has an intrinsic sense of what it is to be part of this business in a time like this. Correct. Everything's been reframed for me. So if I go back to that first triathlon with cancer, it, it was, you know, there's a competitive person in me, um, the ego driven person that was kind of, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't win my age group. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't really excel within the, you know, the old time frames. although, you know, everybody would say, but Richard, you've got brain cancer. <laughs> that was just to finish the race. And it kind of, it wasn't good enough for me. I wanted, ah. and, and then, um, I kind of wanted to even put something out there that said, well, I, I I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident that I won my category. People are like, what category is that? Well, it's the category of people who competed the IMAP with cancer. You know what I think? Globally. I, I won that one. Um, and I'm fairly, fairly comfortable that, that you've won that on a number of occasions. But yeah. that's the problem. So you know, any person you're competing against is yourself, but you, you still, it's so hard to take yourself out of that. And that's one of the, the biggest lessons that cancer has taught me is that, and now when I do these events, the times are immaterial, the positions are immaterial, the fact that I can do it, I, all I'm competing, the only person I can compare myself against is myself. And why am I doing this? I'm going to get the medal. That's what it is. So currently the foremost expert on Mike Stoffworth on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, okay. yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's been a very, it's been a hard lesson to learn. It's, it's been a humbling lesson to learn. And and I think also just stepping into the platform of, of being a full-time speaker is, you know, two years ago now, almost to the day, um, is, again, wanting to compare yourself to various other speakers and comparing myself to their successes and comparing themselves to, to what they're paid and comparing themselves to what other people say about them. And, 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 and it's also been a two-year journey of understanding that if I'm going to be successful as a speaker, I'm going to be successful being Richard Wright and I'm going to be successful being authentic 
and literally just telling my story. In fact, you, you've been a big part of that journey, Mike. And I remember that first time two years ago when I said to you, so, so you know, content-wise, what, what, what is it? And you said, oh, Rich, but you're the cancer guy. You need to talk about your story and the cancer. I was like, but I don't want to be the cancer guy. You know? You're like, you need, to, you need to add more context. Yeah. <laughs> if I, we're going to tell that story, we need to dress it up a little bit. It makes you sound terrible. But yes, no, I, I do think that's the, the power of that message for anybody going through anything is astonishing. And, and to consider that you've not just beaten it once, but now we're in a, we're in our story, we're in a second diagnosis. You're doing Ironman triathlons, Ironmans all over the world. And then you're going to remission again. Mm. When is that? So I went into remission again, December, December the 4th, 2017. And December the 5th, I phoned up my old um, boss, CEO, um, I was the national training manager for Pam Golding Properties for many years. The job I absolutely loved and adored, but it was time for me to go and, and, and tell my story. And I phoned Andrew Golding the next day. I went to transmission, phone him the next day thinking, okay, that's it. The risk is gone. Um, hey, I'm out of here. I'm resigning. And his immediate response was, no, you're not. Yeah. And we had that three month little chat until eventually it was, okay, um, it's, it's time. And we discussed, and this is also quite important. We discussed a sort of a six month period of where, where I would stay within Pam Gordon Properties training still, um, sort of 60%, 70% of the time. And then the rest of the time I would be free to build my own new brand and speak. And I'm so grateful that we both decided that wasn't in either of our best interests. And, and I think that's, that, that, that's, you know, when you're sitting on, standing on that beach of an Ironman, there's no in between. There, there's no, either you're going to make it to the finish line or you're not. One foot in, there, one foot out. One, none of that. You, you, you cross that start line, you've committed. And whether you can't half run a race, you can't half run a race. And, and the only thing that matters to you in that time is that you're running that race. And that's really, really important. And, um, so it was extremely scary, like any big thing like that. And I had zero income. Since beginning of 2018. Beginning of 2018. Forging a new brand. Forging a new brand. A new a new brand. For and I didn't have a single client, not one. I had a bit of a confidence fund. I'd taken some of my retirement out. and uh, But this huge sense of belief in, I had a, a compelling story and story that that legitimately changed the way that people thought about their own lives and and that's that's all i really want to do is is i call myself a transformative storyteller and then if, if i can tell my story in a way that's going to help to transform your thoughts just in a in a tiny little way then then maybe you can be that step closer to your own breakthrough and let me share some of my breakthroughs that's really what it was so it was a very very tough year that and not many races in it um i did i man again that year and 2018, uh, 2018. Yeah. and then in October 2018, found out that the cancer was back again on the pituitary, and that was round three. Ding ding. So that time it was it was a very quick acceptance. Okay, we were back here again, and uh, I don't have, I've got no leave, no sick leave. I've got no nothing besides me. Me. Um, I'm still trying to dig myself out of the hole. Still have medical bills to pay. I actually can't afford to have cancer right now. And um, what are we going to do? Um, I just need to forge forward. And I went on to a trial drug um, from Israel beginning of the next year, 2019. And that six love, six love in the drug's favor just messed me up completely to the point that I was battling with breathing. We thought the cancer spread to the lungs. I had a two tiny little brain bleeds. I was having seizures. It was, it was a really, really rough time. 
And I ended up entering uh, Durban 70.3, a half Ironman in June that year, and got to the start line with zero preparation. It was the first time, absolutely no training. But again, it was a sense of, if I can just do this thing, I'm going to be cancer again. And I had so many fears. So all the obstacles, and I think people sitting in their houses right now are their brains to, to a large extent are filled with all the obstacles, all the reasons why this thing is bad, all the reasons why they're going to lose their jobs, their, their, their businesses are going to plummet. This is, you know, this is deep, deep, deep in recession. We, we, how, how this thing is, how we're going to lose people close to us, how, how we might respond if we get the, the virus. And all we're looking at are obstacles and that's natural. How, how could we not? We, 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 that's what happens when change hits us. That's what happens when we are in this place of incredible discomfort is we start to think about all the negatives and all the obstacles. And and then if we're really positive, we start to think of, okay, well, if we can focus on the obstacles, we can overcome the obstacles. So standing on that beach on June the 2nd last year, all I could think of was, oh my goodness, I actually don't know that I'm going to do this. Uh, I don't think I'm going to, this, this is a finish line, I think too far. But again, as the gun went off, all those thoughts went out my head and all I concentrated on was the swim and, and I loved it. I had the most amazing swim in Durban waters. It was a beautiful day. And then I, I, I landed up being dumped by a wave that came out of nowhere, um, about a hundred meters from the shore as, as I was finishing the, the swim, which I'd quite enjoyed. And I landed up dislocating my shoulder and then taken out of the race into the medic vehicle and uh, with the doctor resting to get my wetsuit off to have a closer look and me trying to pull back on my arm, which I couldn't really control it, it just popped back in. And the next minute I can well, now I don't have a dislocated shoulder anymore, but I'd already been DNF'd. A race referee had come across and told me that, okay, you DNF'd now, you've got a dislocated shoulder. And Is that, that the first time that ever happened to you? First time it's ever happened to me. Um, How did that feel? I sat there as a complete disbelief. I can't believe this is me. I can't believe that I have got to this race. I've finished the swim on zero training with brain cancer again, with lung issues, with all of these brain problems and seizures, with all of that stuff. Here I am. And I'm not going to be able to finish this thing. I'm not going to be able to get a medal. It is all this way for a half an hour swim. Uh, no, this, this can't be my life. It was a, Oh man, in some ways it, I think it was as hard as, as finding out that um, I was back in that same place again with the cancer. It was like, I don't have control. I'm out of control. I, I, I somehow cannot control this, this. And I fought against the decision to DNF me. It was like, no, 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 just give me some time. And the doctor said, no, there's no ways you're completing this race. You're done. You, you know, accept that. And then the nurse came across and she wanted to uh, put stitches in my lip and do debridement on my nose because I was bleeding and my goggles are cut into my mouth and uh, into my nose. And I'd lost my swim cap. I'd lost my race chip in, in the way. It did a real number. And uh, I finally managed to persuade him to let me back into the race and um, managed to persuade the officials to give me another race chip. And I got to where my bike should have been and my bike wasn't there because they'd removed it because I'd been DNF'd and I had to go and search my bike. And I think any sane person at that time would have been like, you know what, this, this isn't my day. Let's just can it. But that goes back to everything. And that is, if you want your breakthrough moment, if you want something to change in your life, you've got to figure out how much it means to you and you can prepare to go through the hard, messy stages that are going to hurt. There is going to be some hurt. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. And that's what makes it worthwhile. Nothing. If you look back on your life right now, and, and I'm, I'm actually asking you this question, Mike, if you look back on your life right now, is there anything that you've achieved that you look back on as, as something substantial that you've achieved in your life, something remarkable that you've achieved in your life and it came about because it was easy? Yeah, sure. 
Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So, but yet somehow we're always looking for that silver bullet and we're always looking for that thing that's going to make things easier. And we're always looking for the easy route and, and we're part of that path to least resistance. Part, exactly. And that app that's going to fix things and this thing on our phones is going to make it quick for us. And, and that's what we're looking for. And I finished the cycle and, and the runner was a limp. It was a run until the pain became too, too much. And then I would walk and then run and walk. And, and then I got the medal and, and I went to the, um, the medical tent afterwards for a checkup and the same doctor saw me and he took one look at me in the middle and he said, surely you didn't finish the race, did you? And I said, for sure I did. And he was like, there's no way they even thought that you were going to get into your bicycle, let alone finish. And I found out about a month after the race when the pain just didn't subside and my shoulder just didn't seem to be getting better. I finally made it to an orthopedic surgeon and we did some x-rays and MRI and we found out that the shoulder had actually been broken. So it wasn't a dislocated shoulder, it was a broken shoulder. And I guess that's the question. Now we're back to the beginning again is do we all have the ability to push through a half Ironman event with cancer, with a broken shoulder, with tons of obstacles? I believe we do. I believe that every single one of us has the ability to do what we think is impossible, to, to do things we would never consider doing before. But a couple of things have to happen. Number one, you've got to get uncomfortable. Number two, you've got to figure out how this thing aligns itself with your purpose and you've got to figure out how much you want it. And that really is it. Because the rest is going to come. You have all the other stuff. You are equipped. And if you want something bad enough, you make a plan. You somehow find whatever it is, tenacity, resilience, strength, bravery, whatever that is, you will find that stuff. How much does it mean to you? And I think I hit that sweet spot, Mike, and this is something that you mentioned to me probably last year this time uh, was the concept of ikigai and um, it's the first time I'd ever heard it and since then I've used it and told a bunch of other people over and over and over again and that is finding that that the sweet spot of purpose Japanese concept of ikigai what is that where where you, you what you're doing in your life you you're highly skilled at you get paid money to do you passionate about it, you love it and the world needs it and um, I believe that I've found that sweet spot and I think that this pandemic, this crisis is an opportunity for many more people to find that spot. So what is it that you are doing today? How do you keep busy doing that kind of work today? I speak to as many people as I can on as many platforms as I can to share my story and to share some of the lessons that I've learned, which I, I, and you know, to try and, as I said earlier, to help people to transform their thinking because doesn't matter how many times you're told something and until you can start thinking a little differently, until you can, I think we try and change our lives through our behavior. And what I've learned is that until we can change our lives and change how we think, nothing's going to change because our, our thoughts determine our perception. Our perception is our reality. It's truth. And our reality determines our actions. And if we want our actions to change, we have to change how we think. So you know, straight back to, to the COVID-19 pandemic, it, it, we all, so many people are responding out of this place of fear. So many people are responding out of this place of loss, of a, of uncertainty, of what does the future hold? Uh, um, how do I protect me, my family? Uh, we're scared, we're anxious, we're stressed. And until we can change how we think and how we feel about our circumstances, our behavior isn't going to change. So I put a little video up 
last week about hand sanitizer. I went looking for hand sanitizer and I didn't really think I needed it that badly because we still had one bottle at home. And the more I realized there was none on the shelves and the more I saw other people scurrying around trying to find it, the more fear I had of missing out being the one person on this planet that didn't have a hand sanitizer and I was going to get nailed by the virus. And and then, then I said to my partner, Deborah, um, if we had to find hand sanitizer now, how much would you buy? And the answer came back, four or five bottles. And that's because we were thinking from a base of fear and our thoughts were controlling our actions. So, you know, if we can, if we can control your thoughts, things are going to change. So it's quite weird about all of this, Mike, is that last week in the midst of this pandemic, this crisis, I found out that my crisis, my finish line has changed somewhat and that I'm now in remission, which is just the most remarkable thing. So for the third time in remission. And again, I sit back and think, wow, this kind of happens. Every time I go into remission, some kind of crisis hits my life, you know? And, wow, can life just not be easy for a change, you know? I, I'd, uh, um, January, February, March, beginning of March, the best months from a speaking point of view. I finally got to the point where I think, oh, man, stable income, um, there are enough audiences that want to book me, enough people want to hear the story. I'm finally getting my name out there. Things are happening. Um, now I'm in remission and... Uh, you know all the all the work that is face to face with with audiences is now have, have a global pandemic yeah. gone out the window, <laughs> and again I'm back in that place where I'm what now rich yeah and that's a good place to be that's a good place to be so again I'm having it's to where, where we know you do your best work right? I'm gonna have to reinvent myself and I'm I I am in need of another break, breakthrough myself and do I believe that I can find that sweet spot in that place for sure I do um, am I having some anxious moments in between. For sure. But I've done this before. So how do you finish a run after a 3.8 kilometer swim, a 180 kilometer cycle and 32 kilometers of, how do you do, how do you, how do you get to the end? How do you finish the last 10 Ks? How do you finish the last 10 Ks mm. of an Ironman? Okay. Um, exactly the same way you started it. I count down every single one of the kilometer markers. I, I count down the last time I'm going to see people on the road, the last time I'm going to get past this water point, and I count down the last time, the last time, the last time, the last time, the last time I've got to do this hill, the last time I'm going to come down this this road. Um, and that's very important. That It's the last, the last, the last, the last. And again, it's just breaking it down. So for me, it gets quite hard in the last 10 kilometers because the road has got so many people on it. It's quite congested and they're lanes. So, you, you know, the right lane going out and the left lane coming back. So the, the, you, you're passing people all the time. There's still one or two people on the bike that are coming in and all the spectators. And so what's really important for me is if I'm wanting to finish strong, that I need to concentrate on my game. So what I actually do is uh, you, you, you wear a big number on the front of your, your race belt and you have to move around to the front so everybody can see it and your name is in big writing, Richard. Um, so everybody knows your name. So people scream at you from the sides, go Rich, go Richard, looking great, Rich. They all lie. But anyway, um, nobody's looking great at that point in time. But what that does, as amazing as it is, when I'm really battling and I'm in that deep, dark place, I can't afford to be distracted. Um, and I mean, when people shout at me, I feel like I need to acknowledge them and I want to give them a high five or whatever. And that, that just, just takes me out of my concentration zone. So what I do is I fold over my race number so people can't read my name. And I, I go into the, the screensaver comes down over my eyes and I try and focus only on about three meters in front of me. 
Um, if there's somebody running at my pace, I look at the back of their shoes. And again, I get back to that mantra. So I, I, I bring it back to Richard. Um, that's the only thing that matters is Richard and the thoughts that are in my head. I'm strong, I'm feeling good, strong, powerful, strong, feeling good, strong, powerful, as I count down the kilometers. And every single time I allow my thoughts to go somewhere else, every single time I allow my 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 single track focus my, uh, to, to go anywhere else, I'm making it harder for myself and I'm making the race longer for myself until eventually I see that uh, the red carpet and then I let go. Then it's, then, and, and every single time I've crossed that, that finish line throughout this cancer journey, there've been tears. It's been a, a relief and a rush of big emotion and, oh, um, I made it. Um, and if I can do this, I can beat it again. Um, but starting the race the way, uh, finishing the race the way you started it, and, and that is controlling the only thing that you can control, and those are the thoughts in your head. So there'll be people that are listening or have listened to the last three shows who are not feeling strong, mm. um, are not feeling powerful, um, are not feeling good at all. And I want to acknowledge that there are a lot of people right now that are not in a great place. Um, and maybe some of those people have felt um, inspired or moved by some of what they've heard from you. Now, we know you give keynote presentations and motivational talks. I know you can do those virtually as well. Mm -hmm. um, I know you do facilitation for teams, team building initiatives. Even those can be done uh, virtually. Uh, do you also do kind of individualized work? Um, are you open to coaching people what other ways can people access some of your wisdom and experience that aren't potentially, you know, through the traditional channels of a keynote presentation or facilitation? So I absolutely do, Mike. Um, Any time spent with somebody else where I can assist them or help them to move forward in their lives, whatever that is, is a gift for me. And it's part of the reason why I love doing what I, what I do so much. So whether it's individual coaching, whether it is smaller groups, whether it doesn't matter what it is, I'm up for it and game for it and keen for it. And I think what, what, what I enjoy most about that is so the place I always start and whether it is with teams, whether it is with individuals is who are you and what makes you happy. And I think for, for people listening right now who might be in that place of, unhappiness or might be in a place of conflict or anguish or fear or stress. One of the things I learned that is the most poignant and most powerful for me is that I don't didn't have to survive cancer to be happy. That one of the one of the most dramatic ways that we can change our lives and change how we think and how we feel and how we respond to things is by understanding that happiness is a feeling, nothing more and figure out what are those things that make you feel happy. So for me right now, and as I'm sitting here reflecting on being in, in isolation at home, there are so many things about that that make me happy. Um, spending really good quality time with my, my two girls and having conversations that we would never have had outside of, of this pandemic. Spending time with my partner, um, being able to sleep in a little bit and having different work hours. Yes, there's frustration that comes along with that. And yes, it's having to reorganize your work structure in life. And But but you can choose to focus on those things or you can focus on what what makes me feel happy. And there's so many things right now that make me feel 
happy and and that's so that's a good place to start is is what is your why what you if we had to finish the sentence i am what would come after that and that was something that i had to learn and i honestly believe in a crisis like this is a fabulous opportunity to to spend time that's introspective in terms of you who you are to do the big work what makes you tick yeah and what makes you feel happy and then how can we build on that? So what, 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 how can we build on that basis? Cause that's, that's where purpose and that's where meaning comes in. So, so I think what I'm trying to say is, is I love to try and help people to uncover what that meaning is, what that purpose is, whether it's in a, in a company, whether it's individual, because once you do that, now, now we've got something to work with. Now, now we, now we can get to the start line of an event and, and figure out how we're going to get through that event. Where do people find you online? I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of them. Uh, Richard Wright. Is uh, there some content on YouTube that people can access? Yes, there is a YouTube channel as well with quite a lot of content there. And I, I share quite freely. So I actually quite enjoy sharing my journey on a social media platform. And what I always try and do is I try and share as authentically as I possibly can. But I share a lot of content. But what I also always try and do is no matter how negative I might be feeling or no matter what I'm going through, somehow try and build on it in a Maybe this can help you in this way. Um, so I'd love it. Go come share my journey and I'll share mine with yours and connect with me. And if you're looking for content, please you know, hook up and I can pass content along and show you where to find it. And then you've mentioned the book a couple of times. Mm. Uh, where can or when can people access that? I'm super excited about that. So the book is called The Power of Purpose and uh, essentially talks about my purpose and, and what has got me through cancer three times and, and through some events in between. And uh, it's not just st my story, it is a lot of how can this help you in a way of, of how can my journey impact on your journey of purpose and, and unraveling and, and, and discovering your own purpose. So the book is gonna be out on shelves in May and uh, I'm not sure about book launches at this point in time, they're probably gonna be virtual. Uh, we'll do something bigger later on, but they'll be in all decent bookstores in South Africa in May. Amazing. Looking forward to I that. have read the book. I love the book. Thank you. It's a real, it is a real gift because of the level of vulnerability and I think uh, authenticity that you engaged in. So thank you for that. Thank, thank you, you for your friendship. Thank you for this, for being available for the show. I can't wait for our next ride, obviously at a safe, a safe distance. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And um, thank you for the work you do and the inspiration that you are for so many people. Oh, thank you to you, Mike. Thank you for having me. What an absolute privilege and honor. Thank you. This show is broken up into three episodes with Richard Wright. Please check your podcast listing for the other episodes. And if they're not there yet, they should be launched in the next day or two. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit MikeStopforth.com Click on the podcast link and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.